barbecue with, with this dude. Dead giveaway. I declare bankruptcy! Hey guys, welcome back to Ableton Cast. This is episode 17 with Eric Downs. Um, thanks so much for joining me. Want to give a shout out to my sponsor, recording studio Rockstars. Lid Shaw does an amazing podcast where he interviews all the big boys and girls of producing and mixing and mastering. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please check it out today. So on today's episode, I have Eric Downs. Is that correct? That's correct. I first sort of came across you. I was watching um, watching a video, and it was uh, it was a video of actually I even I forget what the uh, what the interfaces are called. I think it was eye connectivity, and it was you in the video. And I'm not sure if you were doing playback for Billie Eilish or if you were a drum tech on that on that particular tour, but you were in that video um, talking about the eye connectivity gear that you were using at the time. Does that sound familiar? It does. It does. Yes. Um, I was uh, I was uh, only loosely involved uh, with that camp, and I was not. I, interestingly. Enough, I was not doing playback, uh, and I wasn't drum teching either. Um, but I guess uh, when the time came to do a video, uh, I, <laughs> they I, needed you. I knew enough about it that uh, I guess I was, I was sort of framed in that way. So, uh, but yeah, I supposed to set the record straight. Uh, I, I did neither of those two things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, um, for those of uh, for anyone out there who doesn't know what you do, do you want to tell people about what it is that you've been up to over the past couple of years? Sure, yeah. Um, the list is pretty long, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try and keep it focused on, uh, on what's relevant to your podcast. So basically, uh, I'm a drummer, a producer, um, a musical, direct, musical director. Uh, that's probably what's most relevant uh, to us today. Um, so I started, I, I moved to LA uh, from rural Pennsylvania in 2012 with a band that broke up about five months later before playing a show. Uh, but it put, it put me in LA, which is where I knew I wanted to be. And uh, I had developed uh, previously a really strong work ethic of uh, just practicing simply enough. Um, and so I, I didn't really, at that time, I, I didn't really know what I was what my path was. In fact, it felt like every day uh, uh, after that band broke up, it felt like our, my path got, you know, more and more uh, murky and unclear. But um, I kept working. I met people. I took every single gig I could and sort of stayed afloat like that. Um, over time, I, I, I lightly got into production. I've produced. Um, songs and a few albums uh for different artists i've also do um i produce under a under the name fine china uh that ensemble that's a basically a large scale um cinematic drum score uh ensemble uh that is basically me in my lockout room uh tracking myself like 50 to 100 times to simulate uh a huge army of drummers uh, and some of those compositions have made their way into uh, ads for like Nike and Toyota. Um, I had one in the Super Bowl last year for Microsoft. Uh, that that's incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. Bunch, yeah, they've, they've made their, their way around to a bunch of places that I should probably keep better track of. Um, yeah. So as I started playing, um, you know, obviously we all know Ableton is uh, is is becoming more and more per pervasive in the live, uh, live music world. Uh, and you know, my, my start with Ableton was very, uh, modest. If I look back on it, it was actually quite funny, but I, uh, I basically got into it by force because I had to learn it. And I, by nature of either the work I was doing or maybe my personality, I ended up digging in really deep, getting what I would consider to be pretty good at it. And the artists I worked for, I ended up going above and beyond and, and sort of introducing or unlocking new capabilities in their show that they 
previously never had. Uh, the more I did this, the more involved I got with the show production, and eventually I started musical directing uh, for artists independently, like not in the band. Um, I've been doing that yeah, sure. for probably the last two years, and uh, this is where that's where that's where I currently am right now. That's what that's where uh, that's what's brought me to where I am, literally right now as we speak. Okay, that sounds that sounds really cool. I wondered if you could just um, tell us, you know, you said you had some of the tracks that you've done, they've ended up, you know, sort of like being used by sort of Nike, Microsoft, and other other big companies. Um, there's a lot of people out there who would, you know, who love to create their own music and probably their own instrumental stuff. Do you have any recommendations for them on where to get started? You know, they've created these tracks how does somebody possibly get it to the next level into the hands of bigger companies? Sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, right off the bat, I, I'll say, you know, one of the I think one of my greatest pieces of pieces of advice. Not that I'm like great fountain of of knowledge or anything like that, but one of the pieces of advice that I I, I found I gave a lot. Uh, especially with regard to what we're talking about right now is, you know, I think one of the best things that, that drummers can do or musicians can do, anyone can do in, in, you know, in the, in the music world is, is to produce music. Even if it never sees the light of day, even if it's terrible, or even if you think it's terrible, uh, learning, getting, you know, digging into a DAW and learning literally how to arm a track, how to record, what gain is like, you know, how an EQ works, how a signal chain works, how compression works, all that kind of good stuff. It It's so immensely, immensely helpful in, in so many ways outside of just, in, outside of drumming. It turns you into a, a quickly turns you into a very uh, robust uh, source of knowledge and that, that really, really can come in handy. Uh, in your in your drumming career and sort of related to your drumming career, but uh, so for me, um, you know, <laughs> to be honest, the the reason I started the the drum score thing, uh, Fine China, is because I had randomly been sort of connected to a meeting with, if I remember correctly, it was the ex head film music supervisor for Sony who had just left uh, his position; his contract had expired. And an artist that I was working with at the time, uh, we had we had a, a mutual friend that can that put us all in a meeting, um, and it came up that I played drums and produced music, and he said, "Hey, hey we, we should talk. We should talk." So he had his own music library that was very successful, and he said, "Look at these guys." He, he's like he re, he re, uh, referenced these two guys in his library that that did the same thing that made big epic drum music. And he's like these guys. Both millionaires live in Marina del Rey, wow. like millionaires. If you can do this, we can do the same thing for you. And I was like, "Well, amazing, cool." I'm like very loosely or, or or barely employed. I have tons of free time. Let's give it a shot. I have no idea what I'm doing. Absolutely no idea. Um, but I know how to record. I know how I know how mixing works. I'm not at the time. I wouldn't say I was necessarily a professional at it, but I knew how the process worked. And so I, I got into my room and just started throwing ideas at the wall. And I will, I'll, I'll, I look back and laugh retrospectively because the, one of the tracks that has been placed the mo- far, far and wide, way beyond, uh, sorry, far more times than any of my other tracks was the very first one I ever did. And I was recording in a terrible room, terrible environment with probably substandard gear um, but that was the one that has been used in all of the major commercials. So basically I, I, I did three demos and I sent them to the guy. He said, yeah, yeah, this is good. Now, can you do like 20 to 25 of them? Then we'll have, then we'll be talking. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't know, man. I don't know if I could do, do that. Many. That's like, yeah. it's a huge undertaking. And I didn't, <laughs> it was, it was too much work, but I took this small handful that I had made and probably added to it maybe six, seven, eight over time. And I got connected to a music library in Portland called Marmoset. 
um, a friend of a friend knew them and connected me with uh, one of the one of the guys up top there. And he said, "Yeah, this sounds great. We'd love to put it in the library." So I tossed that in with a few other different sort of electronic hip hop style tracks that I've done, uh, and they just sat in the library. And little by little, every once in a while, I'd check in, and they'd land a new license. And and sometimes it would be for something completely under the radar. It might be for like someone's podcast. It might be for uh, an indie film, whatever. But sometimes it was for like Fox Racing, or sometimes it was for like Klondike Bar. And those licenses were, you know, they paid they paid a few bucks, and it, it was it was nice. And then every once in a while they'd they'd land a big fish, and I'd wake up and check the check the site, and you know kind of do a little dance you know what i'm saying has that income been sort of like something that you could survive on i i think if i if i focused on it i think and and there are a lot of people who do if i if i focused solely on it i would say rather confidently that i could make an income off of it but i don't but i don't uh so i i tend to honestly treat those like pure luck tracks like when a check shows up you know like once a quarter you know, it could be for a you know, it could be for a small amount of money, or it could be a, a, a nice chunk of money. But I always look at that as bonus money because it's not my main hustle. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's always a surprise. It's always a really pleasant surprise. You know. Um, so, but that to, to answer your question, like I, I would recommend anyone in this position, you know, produce all the music you can and do just do some research. There's tons of Music libraries out there, they're all fant- you know, they're lots of fantastic ones with great track records and all this kind of stuff. And uh, you know, when you have you when you feel like you have a strong body of work that you're that, you know, feel feels feel like you feel like it's complete and it represents you and all this stuff, then I reach out to them and say, Hey, here's who I am, here's what I do, here's what I've done. Take a listen. If you like it, let's work together. And it's as easy as that, honestly. Yeah. Do you know can you have sort of like separate libraries with different companies or uh, do most companies want to lock you down? So if you've done one library, they want to release the next one as well, or would you have the freedom to go to another one? It, it depends. E- each of them, each of them approached it a little bit differently. Um, you know, Marmoset, for example, is, is like, uh, isn't like that, you know, you don't have to, I don't have to like sign a contract that says everything I do is yours guys. They're, Marmoset is is so cool, and I'm not you know I'm not gonna you know be doing like massive shout outs or anything like that. But they they've been such an insanely cool library that like they've been so easy to work with, and they've they've gone honestly placed my music in some of the coolest places. But they're also so very cool and understanding, you know. And uh, just as an example, um, I I actually did I actually made an album an instrumental album of sort of like a Pacific Northwest sorry Northwest inspired. Uh, folkish kind of album with a really uh, a close friend of mine uh, back on the East Coast, uh, U.S. And we finished the thing. Couldn't have been more proud of it. I was like, this this thing's this thing's great. Marmoset's gonna love it. And I send it to them, and they're like, eh. And that's fine. <laughs> that's completely you know. That's that's like they know their catalog better than I do. And maybe maybe I sent that to them, and they have tons of it. And they're like, yeah, we don't really don't need this. I'm like, cool. That sucks for me, but I understand. So we, we, we sent some emails, we did some more research, we found some more companies, and then we ended up connecting with another company actually at the top of this year, or sorry, at the end of last year, rather, sorry, uh, who was like, yeah, we love it, cool, let's put it in the library. So, you know, I think it's been in their system for like three months, it hasn't done anything, but there are multiple companies out there, so, you know, so if you, if, uh, and there are some that, you know, if you want to develop that relationship, that exclusive relationship, that tight bond relationship, there are, there are companies that do that. If you want to bounce around a little bit, there are companies that do that. I feel like I'm hearing some similarities um, between your story and Adam Marcello, um, who I had on the last episode, and I think you know him as well. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, just, just on how you sort of um, decided to kind of sort of pack things up and drive to L.A., and sort of have have a start there and i just wondered you know for anybody else out there who is interested in doing something like that what what do you recommend you know 
the, the person who wants to move to LA in, in 2020, what are the things that they need to do as soon as they get there to sort of, you know, become sort of successful and, you know, get involved the way that you have in the music industry? Well, I, I'll say this. Um, I don't consider myself, um, I don't consider myself a, how do I say? I think I've pieced together the, I would say the, the career or the life that I've pieced together uh, is one that I'm very satisfied with. And I, I never, but I never, ever, ever expected it to be like this. And, uh, and I would never consider myself a successful conventional drummer. And I, and I, I don't say conventional uh, in a derogatory way, but I am, I, I don't consider myself, you know, a jack of all trades who can roll into any audition and sound good, who can play with any artist and sound good. You know, I, I'm not kind of like that, that sort of Swiss army knife, you know, touring vet who is just, you know, built to play drums on the road. I do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally doing it right now and I enjoy doing it. Um, but I guess the reason I say that is because over the time I've spent in, in LA, what I've observed is that LA, first of all, is like the most fantastic city, whether you're in music or not. But it's not for everyone. You know, I've met tons of people who love it there. There's so so many of my friends who who just like we wake up every day and literally joke about how great it is because the weather's so beautiful and there's so many cool things happening there and great people. But I've met plenty of people for whom it's not their bag. You know, it's just not. It doesn't mesh with their personality. But just because it doesn't mesh with your personality as, let's say, an aspiring professional drummer doesn't mean there's not a place out of here for you. I think that's I think that's the point I'm getting to. Is like if you have the most badass work ethic on the planet, you know, and you're super cool, like super nice, easy to get along with, willing to learn anything, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Like you'll probably do well. You'll probably do well in LA. But I, yeah. but okay. I don't think I fall into that category, you know, but I've, I've found, I found sort of, I've carved out my own lane, my own groove. And, uh, you know, if you have that sort of tenacity, I think then, you know, LA is the is, is most incredible city you could possibly live in for that. Does that, yeah. does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Cool. Well, let's ask you a few questions about Ableton, if that's all right. Sure. So I wondered if you could just tell us, how are you currently using Ableton? Um, well, I'll tell you this. Um, this is part of, like I, I would say, a... A long answer, which is, as you can probably already tell, uh, all of my answers. Um, but I, the way I use Ableton, the short answer is I try and use it as little as I possibly can. Now, you know, to get down to the, the you know the tech nitty gritty answer, uh, most rigs that I'm using right now uh, consist of Ableton running through a Play Audio 12 and, and mo very commonly a, uh, an iConnectivity uh, MIDI 4 Plus or Mio XM uh, MIDI interface. And more often than not, you know, we're using this for multi-stem playback, um, click tracks, guides, key guides, uh, program changes for things like Kempers, Helixes, uh, tech like that. Nothing wildly out of the ordinary, I, you know. I, and I say that because I just I think that's that's become commonplace. It's like that's kind yeah, of yeah, it is. Yeah. So I would say that I, you know, I've developed a bunch of tricks on my own, you know, of, of little little like little hacks and little neat uh, things that I do personally in Ableton. But as an overall functionality standpoint. I would honestly say I probably don't use it much differently than most people. Yeah. So right now, the artist that you're playing with, uh, Gunnar Gale, um, are you having to sort of like fire off Ableton while you're playing, or is there a playback tech? Yeah. So uh, the way so the way we've set it up, that it might be a little bit fluid. Um, and historically, he's worked uh, uh, he's worked with a playback tech. Um, depending on the show, like for instance, today's show. 
was something we could design design in a way that we could hit we could hit play and kind of the show would run itself. Uh, and so we actually yeah. had our our uh, production manager who's who's sitting right next to me in the hotel room here. Uh, we actually when we were all set to go and they announced announced us and all this stuff, I just had him hit play on the uh, you know and tr- trigger the uh, triggered on the MIDI controller uh, to trigger both both uh, A and B laptops. Um, there may be times in the future as as different show needs evolve where you know we need more um, more intricate control and we kind of have to cross that bridge when we get to it. It might come from me yeah. or if we have a tech, it might come from them. Are you using Ableton in session view or arrangement view? Always arrangement view. Oh yeah. 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 And you've had good luck with that. That's uh, been working well. Oh yeah. I mean, I started, I mean, my, my, my literal first exposure to Ableton was in session view. And at the time I was like, this is the smartest thing I've ever seen. There's basically a playlist I can click play on. This is so great. And yeah. over time, I learned about its limitations, and uh, you know, I, I, I saw arrangement view. I was like, "Well, cool. That's the regular linear timeline view that all other DAWs have. Session view is that special mode that Ableton has. Like, let's use that. That's the cool thing." And uh, you know, when I realized that sort of linking tracks together and and uh, and automating tempo and things like that is such a pain uh, in session view uh, and in arrangement view. It is just it couldn't be easier. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think I've I, I haven't I've I've used session view like once recently in a very very extremely specific circumstance, uh, but otherwise like ninety nine percent of the time it's arrangement. Um, over the course of your time working with Ableton, have you ever had it go wrong? You know in a live show and if so what did you do oh my gosh yeah i have some i have some amazing stories of, of times when it's <laughs> let's hear it failed um so pro- possibly my possibly my biggest best failure uh is uh with another artist that i've been working with for uh about a year and a half now named sin uh in 2018, we were on the Katy Perry uh, Witness, the tour, uh, opening for her in a bunch of arenas in Mexico. And um, sounds we, awesome. It was. It was. It was to to date probably some of the coolest shows I've ever played. And you know, I think it was. It was. And it, it ended up being. I think it was the biggest thing that anybody, any of us had uh, who were involved had done before. And so I think uh, a lot of us maybe weren't completely, um, we didn't know what to expect in terms of preparation. Uh, we did try to do a lot of things like, you know, a lot of rehearsal prep in like large scale facilities. We tried to hire in an MD um, externally just to give that external feedback, which is incredibly invaluable. Uh, and uh, for reasons I don't need to get into, we weren't granted any of those things. So I ended up doing it myself. And um, man, I, I remember it to this day. So we had set up this great show. Everything was like, everything was working perfectly. And we didn't have a playback tech. We, we flew down to, to our first show in Mexico City, rolled up to this massive arena. Katie has like 28 tractor trailers and all you know obviously the you know a massive crew it's super cool super organized and we roll up with literally four people drums bass slash guitar singer and our front of house engineer that's it and okay (laughs) so i so because we were so short-handed uh and didn't have anyone to run playback uh and i built i had built this like big epic intro for the first song um we needed to figure out a way to trigger it off stage so it could walk on. And so I found uh, this app uh, called, called, oh boy, I can't remember the name of it, but I found this app that would allow me to, if I, if I brought my own wire, you know, uh, wireless router, I could connect to my Ableton session and trigger it off my phone. And in, and in rehearsal, worked like a dream every time. Couldn't have been happier. I felt like such, I, f- I felt like such a slick pro. Um, and we got to we got to sound check. We tried it out. Everything was great. What I didn't know is that 
when Katie then set up set up all of their <clears throat> all of their stuff, uh, all of their wireless stuff was operating on the band that my router was on, and oh, it was just massive, like intense, intense wireless all over the place. So we get to our set time. We're standing up on stage behind this gigantic video eyeball, and uh, it comes. You know, we we you know they cut house music, they drop the lights. I pull out the phone, hit play, and nothing happens. I'm like, oh god, okay, all right, hit it again, again, stop, hit it again, hit stop. All right, um, all right, it's not working. So I like crouch down, and I like crawl out to my drums because it's like it's like pitch black. And I reach up, and I hit spacebar. And what plays? Not the first track, but a sound check patch that I'd created with a full instrumental. They just jumped right into the chorus of like this of like the fifth song. Oh, full blast! Oh man, like super abrupt, super super amateur. And I was like, you know, I mean, luckily I have a tendency to stay pretty, you know, pretty calm under pressure. Uh, I realized it right away and hit stop immediately. And I, you know, it was only, it only played for like maybe one second. Um, but it went from total silence to blam, 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 blam. And I like, I was like, "Uh," and I moused up and I like started at the top of the set, but I was like, dude, this is the biggest thing I've ever done. And so much is riding on me in this show. They're all counting on me to like, not just play drums, but make the rest of the show happen, like technologically speaking. And I just totally effed it up in a massive stadium of like 25,000 people. Oh, th- those things, they make you feel terrible, don't they? Oh, dude. They really stick with you for that feeling, really sticks with you for quite a while. I mean, so with me, I, I tend to, you know, I, I try to approach everything, especially the tough things in life with laughter, laugh it off. And learn from it. So I mean, I immediately went out and I bought a dual brand, a dual band router that could operate on a different band that, than all of Katie's stuff. And um, you know, the, everything was cool from then then on. And we and, and the rest of the shows were amazing. Um, but man, that was like that was the worst way to start the biggest show I'd ever played. Uh, so yeah. if, you're, if you're listening, you know I got your back. You know everything is 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 tidy now. And uh, man. What a uh, what experience! What an experience that was. Yeah, it is really tough with those things. Those things, uh, those sort of mistakes. Um, you really only have to like do them once, and you'll learn from them for the rest of your life, won't you? Oh, you'll yeah. never repeat that again. Yeah, it's and you know it's it's tough. Like you hope all the failures hap- happen in rehearsal because that's that's why that's why you're there to get all the failures out. But you know, sometimes some of them sneak through to the show, and you know it's. Uh, you just have to press through, but you know uh, the one the one big lesson that that's always taught me. I've never ever had a show. I don't. I haven't played many shows with 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 errors uh, like that. I've probably only had maybe two I can think of where I've ever had actual massive errors like that. Um, but the one thing that those experiences have taught me, and also witnessing other people's you know tech failures on stage, is that. The audience doesn't care. They really don't. Yeah. They understand what's happening. They're super forgiving. Like literally no one, if they even if they even understand what's happening, they understand, hey, there's a whole complicated show being put on and sometimes things don't go right, you know? Uh, audiences are super, super forgiving, man. And and you know, it's it's a it's a really important lesson to keep in mind. It's like we put all this time and attention and, and, and focus and energy into like making these shows, these musical or technological wonders. And we feel so gutted when they don't go, when they don't go right. But you have to remember that the crowd most of the time doesn't know that there was a problem and they never care. They're just so geeked to see you. So, you know, just press on and, and give them a great show. Yeah, that is great advice. Um, do you want to tell us any tips that you found helpful over the years of using Ableton for, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, just you as a drummer or you as a producer, anything you felt, uh, you know, to be really helpful? Um, I could give you two, two amount, two of my, some of my best, my best tips, uh, from like an MD standpoint. 
Um, I do have a lot of, admittedly, I do have actually a lot of um, general thoughts on the use of technology in live shows uh, that I would I would go out on a limb and say rather bucks the trend the current trend um, that I'd actually actually love to love to sort of expand on. But uh, I'll start with some cool tips because the tips are the they're fun. Okay, so sure. Number one, number one tip, easiest way to bounce stems. I actually have a video on YouTube about this, but uh, I don't think many people have seen it, and it, it's, it saves massive amounts of time. So when you go to bounce your stem, so let's say, um, let's say you've, you, you have a song, you've gotten all your, your stems from your engineer, you dropped them all in, you, you know, leveled them out, you did any processing you needed to do to get them to match the master reference, You've done any arrangement changes you need to do, timing, intros, outros, whatever you want to do. All the everything you want, all the chopping and screwing you want to do to this track, it's done and it's ready to bounce out your final stems. The best way I found to do this is there's sort of two ways to do it, but the way I like to do it is to set up basically return tracks, or or you, you can call them aux tracks. I think but Ableton calls them return tracks for basically all of your stem groups. So, you know, that might be like six or seven groups. That could be like um, percussion, bass, synth, guitar, uh, background vocals, effects, lead, you know, lead vocal or, you know, whatever you want. You can put any, any, any stem names you want. And all the stems set their output to sends only rather than like master or something like that. And, yep. and use the send knobs uh, on those tracks to send those down those uh, those return tracks that we that you set up, I like to think about them like lanes. Like you have a whole ton of stems, and you're sort of like funneling them down to these individual lanes. You know, right off the bat, what that really ha- that helps you do right away is, first of all, when you're playing your stems back, you can solo any of these lanes and hear what's going down them. Make sure you know you don't have B, you know background vocals going down your percussion track or whatever. But if all these lanes are then also summing to your master, you can still monitor their total, their, their summing level, you know, and, and, and uh, because that's an incredibly part, uh, sorry, an incredibly important part of producing stems, stems for a show is, is, is leveling is making sure, you know, the loudest part of one song is as loud as the loud part of another song. So yeah. Once that's all done, and you know all your lanes are set and everything's sounding good and, and your levels are great. Then what you can do is go into arrangement view and click and drag uh, for the length of the stem you want to bounce. So typically that's from like bar zero up to you know whatever the end of the song is, and then go back to your return lanes, click uh, shift click to highlight them all, and then hit command shift R, which is to uh, render audio. And one of the cool things that Ableton does, I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen any other DAWs do uh, this well, is to, you can, you can select what you want to bounce. And one of the options is, is uh, selected tracks only. And then yes. so select that, select your, you know, your, 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 um, your file information uh, and hit bounce or export or continue or whatever it's called. And then it's going to ask you, uh, where you want them to go and to put an, and to assign a name to them. So you make a folder, you know, with that song stems. Type in the song and then just type in the song name or shorthand for the song abbreviation if it's a really long long side song title. Just the song name. That's it. And hit export. And what it's going to do is in one pass, it's going to bounce each and every one of those stems and append the return track name to it. So for example, if I had um, a song called For Your Love, right? When I go to bounce it out, I'm going to type in For Your Love and hit enter. And what I'm going to end up with in that one pass in that folder that I, that I set is um, it's going to say For Your Love drums, For Your Love bass, For Your Love synth, For Your Love guitar. Perfectly named, perfectly organized in one pass. Saves you tons of time. And make, you know all the stems are exactly the same length. They're perfectly uniform. You can drop them in a playback session, and it is the most neat and clean thing you could ever imagine. So that's cool. That's tip number one. I have another one that I'd love to share. 
I think I, yeah, go and for And I it. think there's only one other person I've ever seen actually doing this, uh, aside from the people I tell, I've, I've told about this trick. So a lot of times, you know, um, if, you're run, if, you're, if you're running playback and you have your own engineer, you'll probably have a conversation with that engineer about what types of, of stems or content, musical content, they want separated out, that your engineer wants separ- separate control over on faders at the front of house board. But if you if your if you are if your band is not working with your own front of house engineer who does not know your music and you're like just showing up to a venue and you're working with the house engineer super normal uh, super normal experience or a situation scenario um, you may not want them to have sort of that granular control that comes from separating stems out of all the outputs you have on your audio interface. Uh, you might rather want to trust your mix and not let them mess with it. But one of the nice little tricks you can do is uh, to give them control over the sub, sub, the sub frequencies. Because though okay. they may not know how, how loud your, your, your background vocals need to be or whatever, the one thing you can probably trust them to do is to make sure the floor is always vibrating as much as it needs to. You know, and each each room has its own, you know, different resonance frequencies and acoustic properties. So low end bass can be, you know, can be one of those things that's that can be sensitive and vary room to room. So to have that have all of your sub frequencies uh, separated out can be a really nice tool for that engineer. So the way the way you can do this is you can set up again return tracks as output lanes. You've set a a, for example, you can set a stereo instrument uh, output of like one and two, and then you can set your next lane as a mono output, for example, output three, you could say, and label it sub. Yeah. And do the same thing as I mentioned before with, with using the sends. So set all of your stems, uh, the outputs to sends only, and then use the knobs uh, the send knobs to send them to these lanes, and basically what you want to want to do is to do is double bus, essentially everything. Like I'm talking percussion, synths, guitars, bass, everything to both of these two output lanes that you've set up, and then you jump into the instrument lane and you drop an EQ an Ableton EQ8 on it and set a yep. high pass filter at like a hundred hertz. And then you take that same EQ, copy it over to the sub, and flip that to a low pass. So essentially, you're crossing over the frequencies at 100 hertz, which is where you know, I mean, which is where a lot of uh, PA's sort of cross over. Although you can talk to yeah. your talk to your you know engineer that they might have their PA crossed over at a different point, and you can you can sort of adjust that frequency to match that. Um, but what that does is it gives it does two really big things. Again, it gives the engineer that those sub frequencies to make sure that low end is always nice and sweet. But it also ensures that your sub frequencies are being received at front of house in mono. Um, yeah, and I think that's really important. You know, from a mixing standpoint, if you know anything about mixing, it's like you know that your sub frequencies you tend to want them to be mono because when they separate, they lose their their oomph. You know. They're cojones, so <laughs> yeah. um, so you want to make sure that those aren't th- those aren't getting separated, you know. And I, I see people sometimes separating out, you know, their bass instrument and sending sending it mono, and that's not quite the same because bass, even though it's it's responsible for all the low end in our tracks, is still a full range in- instrument. Especially synth basses can be total full range, huge sounds, and. Uh, they can they can be if you've listened to a lot of great synth basses like they can be very big wide sounds and to uh, reduce those down to mono can totally reduce the uh, width and the, the the size the breadth of your of your mix so uh, this is kind of a good way to ensure that the stereo stuff stays stereo and the mono stuff stays mono and makes it easy so easy that you know a chimp could run your front of house that's really cool thank you. Um, lastly, really, um, I just want to give you a chance to sort of like plug anything that you've got going on. Um, so let people know where they can find you and just anything that you would like people to know about you. This is the time to share that. Um, 
Yeah, I do have. I I, I could definitely uh, definitely one thing I, I'd be happy to share. Um, uh, let's put it this way: I work very I work very closely, uh, very 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 closely link with a company called ClearSound Baffles. Um, these this is a a product that has grow, rapidly growing in popularity uh, that many of uh, the listeners out there may have even seen, but these are essentially clear plexiglass symbol baffles. Uh, I don't know if you've okay. ever seen these things live, um, but they uh, they mount on symbol stands or mic stands, and they transport really well. But basically, you mount them in front of your symbols, and they cut dead down. They reduce, or in some cases, completely eliminate uh, high frequency bleed into your open vocal mics on stage, which typically uh, are treated it very sensitively and particularly in the high end. Uh, so when you have a, yeah. a nicely EQ'd and, and, and heavily compressed or heavily gained uh, vocal mic uh, for a vocalist that's roaming around stage, and then you have your big dumb crash cymbal just shrieking into the thing, it kind of defeats the purpose. So these, um, this product uh, very elegantly, very non-invasively uh, basically reduces that completely and uh, does so in a very aesthetically pleasing pleasing package that most people can't even see. So again, the name of that company is Clear Sound Baffles. I encourage, encourage you to check it out. Oh, cool. Thank you. Um, is there any social media that you want to let people know where they could find you at and follow you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, like most people, I'm, I'm, you know, I spend most of my time on Instagram. So my Instagram is Downs. Everyone thinks it's L Downs, like it's Mexican or something. My middle name's Lee, <laughs> Eric Lee Downs. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at the same handle, El Downs, and that's honestly. But but Instagram is really it. You know, um, uh, that's where I do. You know, people will message me all the time asking you know about drumming or Ableton or tech kind of stuff, and I'm happy to talk about it. So feel free to shoot me a uh, shoot me a message. Um, yeah, please. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I hope you enjoy your probably rainy stay in London for the next couple of days until you head back to America. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, you're right. It is rainy, but uh, you know, we we finished show one, and uh, we're we're moving on to something really really special this weekend. So um, we're looking forward to. If I if I may, if I can ask, is there any yeah. maybe a few minutes to share maybe a, a few additional thoughts about sort of the yeah, you, and live music production, live show production world. Um, that Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've got all the time that you want. I just didn't want to keep you too long. Oh, no, no, no. You, you, now, you, you, you've, got me, you've got me, you know, perked back up talking about all this stuff. But there is, there is something I don't want to... I don't want to come across like I'm just trying to force an agenda or anything like that. Um, but you know, having spent so much time doing this this stuff, I I do I've developed some some thoughts and, and feelings about it that, like I said, I think maybe a, a little bit left of center, um, and I feel like are just worth communicating because I feel like I have these conversations individually a lot with pe- with with people via DMs and and other drummer friends and. Uh, uh, it's it's. I feel like it's it's worth worth sharing. So, if you don't okay. mind, yeah, cool. Yeah, go for it. You know, I I think, I think these days, you know, MDs are are they're often hired to to take an artist who has some songs that are maybe doing well, and and translate them to the stage. You know, help them transition to the stage, and that 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 process typically has two components, right? The the technical side and the musical side. You know, it's almost like MDs sort of have this secret, you know, implied title of tech director as well, because they're building a playback rig and setting up an Ableton session, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, so on that tech side, we have, you know, our tools like Ableton, we have MIDI sampling, you know, pads and, and, and MIDI controllers, and all this stuff. And on the musical side, you know, we have things like composition, you know, orchestration, arrangement, mixing, all that kind of stuff. Um but I think, in, in my observation, at least on my, on my level and what I've been seeing, is I think a lot of people are putting a lot of emphasis on the tech 
you know, putting the tech together, getting, you know, doing all your, your, your MIDI programming, your patch changes, all your automation, all that stuff. And, and I use that stuff myself, but I feel like there's a lot of focus on doing that stuff and getting the show functional to the point where it works. And then I feel like sometimes, sometimes they stop there and they leave the show to essentially be a now far more complex, like iTunes playlist, you know, where the, where, where the tech is so complex that sometimes it feels like the music is playing the band more than the band yeah, for sure. music. You know what I mean? Cause you're like, Oh, this pad's changing here and this sound is changing. And my, my program change on my, on my Kemper happens exactly right here. And this vocal, you know, effect happens, happens right here. And everyone has to just be so perfectly in time, you know, and you think back to the days when, you know, you're jamming in your, in your, in your, in your garage or your basement with your friends. And like, none of that was a concern, you know? And I try and keep that in mind because not a single person in your audience bought a ticket to your show because of how cool your tech, your tech was, you know, yeah. the tech is there to facilitate the art. It's to facilitate the communication of the art, but that those audience members, they came to witness and, and connect and, and hopefully if all goes well, like engage with that raw talent of someone that they are in awe of. And unfortunately there is no amount of incredible ama- Ableton like tech wizardry that can really do that. You know, no matter how cool your playback session is or how cool your playback rig is, none of that can facilitate an emotional connection from person to person. You know, yeah. no one, no one was ever like, like emotionally moved by, you know, the the, the perfect uh, opening of a, a low pass filter on a kick drum sample rising over eight bars, or, you know, no, like no one, no one ever got chills from like a perfectly timed MIDI program change, you know, on an yeah, amp sure. modeler. You know, the audience wants to feel like they paid money, that it, that got them into a show that people outside that show can't see something like one unique and, and one of a kind if possible, something, something special and a show that is so technically identical to the record it was made from so much that it, it could sound the same. Even if the musicians were swapped out is almost by definite definition, like not unique. You know, if you're just going up there pressing play on your very complex iTunes playlist and everyone's, you know, moving their arms and, and bobbing their heads, you know, in with the click and everything sounds exactly the same every single night, then like, you know, it's not special anymore. It's not unique. You know, you look back to like amazing performers, like, every, you know, a lot of people seen like the Queen documentary is a great example. Like all the, all the total like raw, you know, non-tech, you know, spur of the moment, things that happened in those shows that's what made those so engaging and so yeah so i try and keep that stuff in mind when working on a show you know trying to build in areas in that tech that can be free-flowing you know melodically or, or with crowd interaction and, and and try and foster as many of those emotional connections as possible because because those are the things that the audience takes home with them you know when they're singing along when they're you know doing a, a call and response, when they're singing the melody, all a giant crowd a cappella, no band, no tracks, whatever it is, like those are those moments that you take home because you felt like you you, you were part of it and you felt like you witnessed something unique. So, like I said, now, of course I, I I build playback rows, uh, playback rigs, and I I mix stems and and you know do automation and patch changes just as much as anyone else, but only when it's strictly necessary. More often than not. Like I'm just trying to figure out who that artist is and what their songs are trying to say and, and like what the vibe of that song is and and how I can amplify those elements for the greatest possible like emotional payoff if you you know release them from the handcuffs that are the that two minute and thirty second radio edit <laughs> that they're all kind of bound by. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Sorry, I feel like I'm totally like plowing a, a really hardcore monologue right now, but like you know, no, it's great. It's it's really good advice. I think it's that that's the thing. It's like you. Can, it, it's just. Uh, it, I think the 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 closing thought on this is that like, you learn Ableton, man. Learn tech. Learn hardware. All this stuff is awesome. 
you know, tech is more accessible than ever. It's more affordable than ever. And it'll allow you to have a more professional show than you ever, that, than you ever able to, you know, it'll, it'll give you capabilities that used to be hidden behind massive thousand dollar paywalls of crazy gear and knowledge that you used to ha- need to have. And you don't need that anymore. You can do it all on one computer and it's incredible, but just keep in mind that like, you're not doing the show for you. You're not doing the show to see how, how much tech you can pack into the thing and how technically technologically perfect it can be. You're doing it for your audience. So if the tech isn't serving your audience and providing them with something incredible to, to feel and to take home with them, then it may not be worth doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So anyway, thanks for letting me rant on that, man. It's like, you know, lots of pent up, (laughs) pent up thoughts about that, you know, so, uh, Hopefully I don't ruffle no. feathers or anything like that. <laughs> no, it's it's great information. You know, it, it is something that we all need to be reminded of. Of you know, technology is is great, but still, you know, technology, um, you know, very rarely creates those you know those great moments and that emotional connection. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Cool. Well, thanks again, Eric, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. All right, that's another episode done. Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope everybody is uh, staying safe and healthy. And if you have any questions, anybody you want to see me interview, or I should say listen to me interview, feel free to email me. My email is mrkevinswartwood at gmail.com. That's M-R-K-E-V-I-N-S-W-A-R-T-Wood at gmail.com.